0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to TV slash gold. This is episode 163, part one. I hope everyone is doing great as usual, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of conversations going on behind the scenes here. I had a couple of folks reach out to me from the show one of which i had said to you shared some great information with me in regards to their kind of stepping into the world of video games and such really smart person knows a lot about how to protect yourself online when you're stepping into the matrix about your computer security identity theft security and such and They initially didn't want to come on the show, but they just reached out at pain.tv slash gold in the last day or two and said they would come on. So I'll be reaching out to them to see if they could come on here and share that information. Really knowledgeable person, really knowledgeable, knowledgeable, sends me a lot of great stuff. Unfortunately, I sometimes just don't have the time to dig into it. Enough to then bring it on the show, make it part of the show. So now they said, I believe it sounded like the way I interpreted it was that uh, they wanted to come on. So I'm going to call them and see if they'll come on the show. Also, someone else who I talked to on Twitter and at Pain.tv/slash Gold said that they've got some information with me. Um, they want to make me aware of some technology, some new stuff that's out there. So I'm going to give that person a ring as well. And then uh, Judy. Good friend of ours listens to the Thomas Paine podcast as well as the Dust and Gold Standard and is a member over there at Payne.tv slash gold. She's been sending me her notes and her thoughts on every show, and I really appreciate the feedback. It's fantastic. She was just talking about uh, Glenda and how initially it was kind of creepy, and then after a couple of episodes, she got used to it, even though I point out that Glenda is wrong a lot of times. It's uh, a teaching moment. I use it as a teaching moment. She said, wow, it's, it's kind of becoming creepy that it's becoming normal. And, you know, that was part of the reason why I implemented uh, Glenda on the show. Also, Judy said, when you name her, it brings life to the artificial intelligence. Now, folks, part of what I've been demonstrating and i'm glad judy and it wasn't just judy there were there were many others so thank you very much i just use judy because i chat with her a lot back and forth and i find her to be uh, a very interesting conversation but part of what i did was for that purpose i wanted to see how you folks would react to it and i wanted to demonstrate to you how easy it is for the technocrats to begin to embed artificial intelligence into our lives even though we are aware of it we are aware of the creepiness we are aware of the dangers we are aware of where they are going with this we also quickly become accustomed to it Uh, i did not want to normalize you into this or numb you but i used it as an experiment for myself to see how people would react i thought maybe i would get a bunch of emails maybe it was wishful thinking telling me get rid of that that's terrible how dare you Uh, but instead i got hundreds of emails saying that people were fascinated uh, by glenda being a co-host now just to clarify here i'm using chat gpt a product of OpenAI. We talked about that in episode 162. We're going to go further into that in a few episodes, but I'm going to change course here, and I'll tell you what we're going to do momentarily. Um, But it's created by OpenAI. OpenAI, we know the story is that in December of 2015, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Sam Altman, and others get together, And their objective was to stop Google from becoming the monopoly in artificial intelligence. So they create OpenAI. It's going to be this nonprofit. The code they create is going to be open source. It's going to be available to all. And its objective is to bring super artificial intelligence to the masses and allow people, everyday folks, to interact with it and to make use of it. Well, you fast forward to 2019, Microsoft gets involved with a 1 billion dollar investment. They turn from a nonprofit into a for-profit. It's now a closed architecture. It's corporatized. And fast forward even a couple more years and Microsoft comes in with a 10 billion dollar commitment is housing the supercomputers that run OpenAI and all of its suite of products like chat GPT like DALI, the image creator, like Codex, the software coding creator. And now OpenAI is going to be embedded in all the Microsoft suite of products as well as a lot of third-party products out there. It's going to be injected into everything. And Microsoft houses it all in their data centers, on their supercomputers. All right, and this is it. We're seeing the push. All these new AI tools you're seeing pop up on Facebook, all these new AI tools uh blogging tools and graphics tools and everything who knows if they're being run by open ai and this is it it's everywhere now and now we know that darpa department of defense was behind OpenAI, at least somewhat with what we could confirm was a 12 million dollar grant in 2015 well they were founded supposedly in december 2015 so when did the grant come in before they were founded or within a couple of days after they were founded either way darpa was in the early stages we also know that if we go back in time to the early 1960s darpa admits that they were one of the early Kickstarters of artificial intelligence. Around the same time, a few years earlier, we're going to get into this, the Rockefeller Foundation, and this is going to be important because we're going to start to tie the Rockefellers into certain of these things and look at the overlap between the Rockefeller group, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rockefeller Family there's so many different branches now, and their are ties to DARPA and the early stages of artificial intelligence. Why is this important? Why is this important? It's important because it is now going to become part of your everyday life. Heck, if you listen to this show, I've introduced Glenda. AI is now part of your everyday life. If you're using a smartphone, AI is part of your everyday life. If you're using Google Maps or some other form of GPS, AI is part of your everyday life. If you're using the Microsoft suite of products, Word, Excel, Outlook, etc., etc., AI is now part of your everyday life, and it will become part of your child and your grandchild's life. And you need to know this. You need to understand this, because three, four, five, six years ago, AI was creepy, Everyone said, I don't want anything to do with artificial intelligence. This sounds like a terrible idea. Kind of the beginning of the initial adoption campaign, normalization campaign of artificial intelligence. But folks eventually got used to it, and it's here now, and it's just something that you deal with. Whether you realize you're interacting with it or not. Which was the reason why I injected Glenda into the show. To see your reaction to see how long it took you to get used to it and judy noticed it and judy even wrote me and said wow took a couple of days but i got used to it so that's not necessarily a good thing folks it's not necessarily a good thing So I was having a conversation with my father last night, and those of you who haven't listened to my father on the show, I brought him on uh, maybe 50 or so episodes ago, for the purpose of introducing you to him, so that when I bring him up in conversation, you will understand why. My father was a cop, all right, back in the 1970s, 1980, 81, he becomes a private investigator, He didn't last long on the police force because he thought he was uh, rocky out there. Uh, He was kind of Serpico. He was going to fight crime and he wasn't going to be absorbed into the system. (laughs) Kind of like me. Fast forward 40 years later, my dad's still a private investigator, but he's what I call a Fox News conservative. I used to call him a Bill O'Reilly conservative. Uh, Now he's sort of a Tucker Carlson Fox News conservative. So I'm talking to my father. As I do about once or twice a week to keep him entertained. He's single, divorced by himself. He likes to work and he likes to break my balls and my sister's balls on the family text message chain. He accesses via his iPad, about five generations old, very limited knowledge on there, which is a good thing. He likes to keep it that way. I'm surprised he'll even text with us. But we were talking about uh, the show. And, and when you're on the phone, my father, he's uh, half deaf and he doesn't stop talking. Yeah, that's where I get it from, folks. I don't stop talking either. But um, he won't let you say anything more than a couple seconds, Seconds, and then he has to interject. So he's talking about how the world's falling apart. He's watching Fox News. Everything's falling apart. He always watches the uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. But he'll never let you explain why it's falling apart. He does not listen to the show, which is a good thing, but he doesn't let you explain to him why the world's falling apart. He starts telling me about the good old days during World War II when we were forced to go fight Hitler, and all the young boys had to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and go to war, and it was this great time, and our country started booming, and the next thing you know, we're building suburbs everywhere. I said, Dad, Dad, That was all part of the plan. Now, all the plan up there, you're always talking about. I said, listen, nothing is organic. Nothing is organic. It's all designed. It's all planned. It's all engineered at the top. Oh, blah, blah, blah. I said, dad, that time period you're talking about, where did it get us? It got us to this time period. That was the bridge to where we are today. So you can't complain about today without bringing yesterday into the conversation also i tried to explain to him during world war ii that was the beginning of forming the worldwide government the united states led that charge with the world federalist society and the world constitution the brent woods convention that created international monetary fund and the world bank he didn't want to hear it oh, i don't want to hear your tinfoil hat stuff i said this is this is real like this is actually real history he doesn't want to hear it because it's not on Fox News. So then we get into a conversation about artificial intelligence, something he can talk nothing about. It does not reference World War II. And I start explaining to him the history of artificial intelligence and DARPA's involvement in OpenAI because he was asking me what chat GPT was because that was on Fox News. So I explained to him what it was. And then all of a sudden he's like, he was quiet for three minutes while I explained OpenAI and DARPA and the history of it. And then he, he says to me, he has nothing to, to argue because he has no frame of reference to argue uh, with. And then he says, okay, well, why do you want to know all this? Why do you and your audience want to know all this? And I said, well, why do you watch the weather? So you know what the weather will look like tomorrow, right? so you know whether or not to set up any appointments. Because my father won't go out if it's snowing. He's a private investigator, all right? He's into liability uh, assessment. So if it's going to snow, he doesn't go out. So he won't set up any meetings. Or if he was going to, he'd know whether to wear a jacket. He's just one of these people that lives and dies by the weather. I said, why do you want to know the weather? Why do you watch Fox News? Why do you want to know what the news is? or the supposed news, or the official narrative, what the government wants you to believe the news is. Why do you watch this stuff? Well, why here are we dissecting this technocratic system we live in? Why are we trying to understand what this system looks like and where it's going in the future? I happen to want to know how the hell I'm going to navigate this. How I'm going to bring up my child in this? How much of this I believe is smoke and mirrors? How much is real? And what is it going to look like tomorrow? What is the weather going to be tomorrow in this world, in this technocratic system of control? How can I raise my child to make sure he can not just survive this, but hopefully thrive within it and if this is going to be the system and there's no way around it i sure as hell want to know what it looks like and how it's going to work folks i'll be right back we're going to get into the history of artificial intelligence my name is dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on paintv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. Yeah, folks. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult subject. When I started back on episode one, my goal was to dissect technocracy and transhumanism. My goal was to present this theory I had of what I call technocratic transhumanism. We've done that. And so then I started getting into how the whole system works, the history of it, what it looks like in present form, where it's going in the future. We broke down everything here, folks, from Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, the metaverse, central bank digital currency, data centers, everything, folks, everything. I mean, even the origins of technocracy itself, eugenics, a lot of other subjects. Uh, so the last few shows, we've been focusing on the nuts and bolts of the system and how it works. And I was gonna start breaking down uh, chat GPT and show you all the software and the various technology that goes into making it actually work. Uh, and then I'm gonna go back to the data centers and the servers and the raw materials needed to create all the chips that power this whole technocracy. Uh, but I put those on the back burner cause I, I, I just get like myself, I'm talking to myself here. And sometimes I'm like, I understand it. I find it to be fascinating. But is it going to bore the audience? I mean, at a certain point, you know, do you need to understand everything that's under the hood and how this whole system works? So I'll work it back in. I'm going to wait for some of your feedback on that. Let me know if you want me to talk about it. Right now, what I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning of artificial intelligence, and I think this is really important because as we see it creep in now, I mean, it has been for several years, but now folks that don't really pay attention are seeing it. All right, I'm seeing people on Facebook, and I'm talking normal people just among family friend types, extended friends, that kind of network, starting to talk about it because they're seeing the ads for artificial intelligence. They're seeing chat GPT on the news. So why don't we go back Again, one of the themes here is let's not talk about these things in abstract. Let's actually look at them uh, in detail and understand them. This is sort of um, hidden history. If I had the dust and gold standard and I broke it down, we could have one foot out of the matrix. We could have hidden history, right? So hidden history. So let's take a look at the real history of artificial intelligence. And I really want to break this down. So if you folks are trying to explain this, to your friends, your family, your kids, you will understand this just didn't appear yesterday. It's not Facebook. It's not Google. uh, It's not Elon Musk even or Peter Thiel. This has a whole history to it. So let's look at the history. So I'm going to start here uh, and I have a lot of information to share with you, but let's start with Alan Turing over at Britannica.com. And, um, Alan Turing, A-L-A-N, Turing, T-U-R-I-N-G, in the beginning of artificial intelligence. It says here, the earliest substantial work in the field of artificial intelligence was done in the mid-20th century by the British uh, logician and computer pioneer Alan Matheson Turing. In 1935, Turing described an abstract computing machine consisting of a limitless memory and a scanner that moves back and forth through the memory, symbol by symbol, reading what it finds and writing further symbols. The actions of the scanner are dictated by a program of instructions that also is stored in the memory in the forms of symbols. This is Turing's stored program concept and implicit in it is the possibility of the machine operating on and so modifying or improving its own program turing's conception is now known simply as the universal turing machine all modern computers are in essence universal turing machines see quite interesting right so this guy alan turing folks now we know uh Now we know who he is. I'm going to go deeper into this. I want to explain this. And from here, we're going to break down some really cool stuff for you here. Really cool stuff, folks. Uh, It goes on. During World War II, Turing was a leading cryptanalysis at the Government Code and Cypher School in Bletchley Park, Buckinghamshire, England. Turing got to turn the project of building a stored program, electronic computing machine, until the cessation of hostiles in Europe in 1945. Nevertheless, during the war, he gave considerable thought to the issue of machine intelligence. One of Turing's colleagues at Bletchley Park, Donald Michie, who later founded the Department of Machine uh, Intelligence and Perception at the University of Edinburgh, later recalled that Turing often discussed how computers could learn from experience as well as solve new problems through the use of guiding principles, a process now known as heuristic problem solving. Uh, Turing gave quite possibly the earliest public lecture, this was in London, 1947, to mention computer intelligence, saying, quote, What we want is a machine that can learn from experience and that the possibility of letting the machine alter its own instructions provides the mechanism for this, end quote. In 1948, Turing introduced many of the central concepts of artificial intelligence in a report entitled Intelligent Machinery. However, Turing did not publish this paper, and many of his ideas were later reinvented by others. For instance, one of Turing's original ideas was to train a network of artificial neurons to perform specific tasks, an approach described in the section Connectionism. We're going to go down uh, through this because there's some valuable information uh, that's going to overlap with some of the stuff we talk about uh, later in the show, folks. Uh, This section is called Chess. At Bletchley Park, uh, Turing illustrated his ideas on machine intelligence by reference to chess. A useful source of challenging and clearly defined problems against which proposed methods for problem solving could be tested. I wonder if we could... 33 double D underwater chess. So incredible. Great. It's going to be fantastic, folks. 3D chess. I'm playing 3D chess I released the jab. I called it beautiful. Got people jabbed up because it's 3D chess, folks. Well, 4D chess, it's chess, folks. You're playing checkers. I'm playing chess. Believe me, believe me. Goes on to say in principle, a chess playing computer could play by searching exhaustively through all the available moves, but in practice, this is impossible because it would involve examining an astronomically large number of moves. Uh, heuristics are necessary to guide a narrower more discriminative search although turing experimented with designing chess programs he had to uh, had to content himself with theory in the absence of a computer to run his chess program the first true ai programs had to await the arrival of stored program electronic digital computers Uh, and eventually We'll get into some more of this stuff, too. We'll break down some of these various elements. I don't want to go too deep into it, though. I just want to go over where AI came from. Uh, This is the guy credited with coming up with the idea. And then we're going to take this information and we're going to show you how it unfolded. All right. And then who grabbed hold of it next. It says in 1945, Turing predicted that computers would one day play very good chess. And just over 50 years later, in 1997, Deep Blue, a chess computer built by the International Business Machines Corporation, IBM, you know them as the uh, Nazi collaborators who created the punch card system that uh, Hitler was using, uh, that later became what I call smart city technology technology. Uh, so, the computer was built by IBM. It beat the reigning world champion, Gary Kasparov, in a six-game uh, match. While Turing's prediction came true, his expectation that chess programming would contribute to the understanding of how human beings think did not. The huge improvement in computer chess since Turing's day is attributable to advances in computer engineering rather than advances in artificial intelligence. Deep Blue's 256 parallel processors enabled it to examine 200 million possible moves per second and to look ahead as many as 14 turns of play. Many agree with Noam Chomsky, a linguist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, who opined that a computer beating a grandmaster at chess is about as interesting as a bulldozer winning an Olympic weightlifting competition. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Noam Chomsky, but uh, I do agree with that quote, folks goes on to say the Turing test. In 1950, Turing sidestepped a traditional debate concerning the definition of intelligence, introducing a practical test for computer intelligence that is now known simply as the Turing test. The Turing test involves three participants, a computer, a human interrogator, and a human foil. The interrogator attempts to determine by asking questions of the other two participants, which is the computer. All communication is via keyboard and display screen. The interrogator may ask questions as pertaining and wide-ranging as he or she likes, and the computer is permitted to do everything possible to force a wrong identification. For instance, the computer might answer, no, in response to, are you a computer? And my follower quest to multiply one large number by another with a long pause and incorrect answer. The FOIL must help the interrogator to make a correct identification. A number of different people play the roles of interrogator and FOIL, and if a sufficient portion of the interrogators are unable to distinguish the computer from the human being, then according to proponents of Turing's test, the computer is considered an intelligent thinking entity. Now, think about that, folks. That's like if we played a game here where... I had ChatGPT in one corner, and uh, somehow I could get you guys in the other corner. And then up on the screen, you only answer in text, and ChatGPT answers in text. I ask the question, and then Glenda writes an answer. You write an answer. Glenda's allowed to trick me into thinking she's human, um, although she's not. You could. Try to trick me into thinking you're human as well. If you're not a human, <laughs> I would assume you're human. And, and then I have to guess which one is the human and which one is the computer. It says here in 1991, the American philanthropist Hugh Loebner started the annual Loebner Prize competition, promising a $100,000 payout to the first computer to pass the Turing test and awarding $2,000 each year to the best effort. However, no AI program has come close to passing an undiluted Turing test. In late 2022, the advent of ChatGPT reignited conversation about the likelihood that the, proponents, uh, the components of the Turing test had been met. All right, so there you go. They bring ChatGPT into this, already updated here, uh, in Cyclopedia Britannica. And that's what I was just getting to, folks. Uh, what would happen based on and i'm not talking about the voice because you know the voice of glenda is just a voice simulator i hooked up and i have figured out i can play with it i I can't make it british or nigerian or anything like that but i can change it into a man's voice Uh, i'm not going to do it on this show but i've just been messing around with it um just like to tinker sometimes with these software programs so i'm talking about glenda's ability to write and generate text Uh, do you think that if you went up against Glenda, I would be able to identify which one of you is human and which one of you is not, uh, that would be an interesting test. Maybe at some point we can try to replicate that here on this show. That way you'll be able to identify or maybe not when your child or grandchild is talking with, artificial intelligence. Folks, am I artificial intelligence? I don't think so. I'll be right back from this short commercial break. Think on that. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.